Hi there, welcome to the Matthias Parker Podcast. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. Um, you know, today's podcast, I'm really excited to share with you. It's really, it's been a podcast that's been a long time coming. I've really needed to make this podcast for a while because I get this question constantly. How do I find a good therapist? It's usually something like, hey, Matthias, do you have sessions? Do you have availability? And then I say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm full at the moment. I have a long wait list. And then someone will immediately ask, okay, well, do you know anyone in my area um, like maybe it's a friend who lives in the same city I do. Maybe it's, you know, someone in the DMs. And so maybe they're from Milwaukee you know, or Dallas or, you know, Taiwan or something. Do you know someone in my town that would be a good fit that you could co-sign and say, hey, if you go with this person, you're going to have an awesome experience. And I wish more than anything that I could say, yes, here's this amazing person. Go with them and they're available and they're cheap. You know, that would be amazing. But but most of the time, 99 percent of the time, that's not the case. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One reason would be that just in like the mental health field generally, it's not often the case that you can actually observe someone's work. Like unless you're an intern or a student, there's no real reason that you would sit underneath someone during their session and watch them work. I mean, sometimes you're like in supervision groups where you'll get together with a therapist and you'll kind of brainstorm together and talk through what you're doing. And so sometimes you can kind of get the gist of how someone, you know, practices. And so you can recommend someone, but but it's all kind of um, either off word of mouth or just off of kind of loose, you know, cues that I'm trying to pick up that I'm trying to kind of assess someone's trustworthiness. And so what I want to do is actually give you some tools for assessing someone, whether you kind of know them through word of mouth or whether they're just, you're just going in completely blind, like you've never really met this person. You're just, you know, looking at their online profile. What are things you can do? to both kind of get a handle on this person's style and, and what are maybe things to look for so that you can have a reasonable, probabi- reasonable probability that you'll have a good experience, that, that actually this investment that you're making into your mental health counseling will be fruitful and actually maybe even bring some healing. So uh, that's the topic that I explore in today's podcast. How do you find a good therapist? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because I think most of us, when we're looking for a therapist, maybe for our kid, maybe for us, maybe for some couples counseling, what we do is that we ask, you know, probably some of our friends or family members who have been to therapy and we ask them, do you like your therapist and what are they like? And and maybe if it sounds like something we'd want to try, then we're going to go in and and maybe try to get in to see them. You know, we kind of go through this word of mouth thing, but maybe you've had an experience like me where... You know, you kind of ask around, you, you get those numbers of some of your friends' therapists, and, and maybe some of them sound interesting, some of them don't, and they're full, you know, like someone who's really good, someone who has a great reputation in town, their book is completely loaded and you can't get in to see them. So, so most of us are kind of left to just searching on the internet and kind of going in blind with some random therapist, and it's kind of anxiety-provoking. It's kind of hard to know, okay, how do I find someone who's actually going to be able to help me, someone who's competent, someone who who knows what they're talking about, who isn't just going to be a big waste of time and money. And uh, so here's kind of what I want to do. I want to share my process of if I were looking for counseling, if I were looking for someone to talk to me or to my child, or if I was looking for couples counseling, I'm going to share with you my protocol of what I would be looking for if I were just going in blind, if I were just searching online, perhaps through Psychology Today or some other interface where you're looking for someone, maybe someone local in town. Um, Here would be the things that I would be looking for and um, some questions that I would ask. 
So here's a good thing to know maybe from the outset is that when we look at the meta-analyses, when we look at the data on what makes therapy successful, there's one factor that really stands out above all the others that leads to high efficacy, that leads to high success rates in counseling, and that is therapeutic alliance and rapport that the trust that you feel, the comfort, the, the comfort level that you have with this person that you're talking to is going to be the greatest determiner on whether therapy is successful for you. It turns out if you don't like your therapist, it's really hard to, I don't know, take their ideas seriously or, or put into practice their suggestions or, you know, I don't know, even be open to the idea of changing your mind on something. We're not persuaded by people that we don't trust. And so that trusting relationship is really kind of the, uh, the foundational piece but that makes things complicated because we don't really know if we can trust someone right away, right? Like, it's hard to tell from an online profile if someone's trustworthy. It's almost like I kind of got to get in the room with them and talk to them and I don't know, even feel out their body language and just see if we're the chemistry is right, if the feeling is right. But, but that also leaves us in the predicament of, okay, well, what can I do on the front end of all this? What can I do when I'm searching different profiles or trying to look through things that would lead to positive outcomes? So... So let's keep in mind for a second that really the thing that's going to be most important is when you get into your first session, you got to kind of establish, is this someone that I jive with? Is this someone that seems trustworthy? Is this someone who seems competent and wise and articulate? Is this someone who can um, orient themselves towards me with like non-judgment, someone who isn't rushing to conclusions or making a bunch of assumptions, someone who seems to be a good listener, someone that I actually kind of like? after the conversation, those things are gonna be really important to key into. And then on the front end, here's maybe a second thing that you can do though. You can do a little bit of homework to understand what is the journey that this person is gonna to try to take me on to improve my mental health. And the way that you do that is that you ask the question, what is this person's theoretical orientation? Or what is this person's psychological modality? Those are the two big kind of psychobabble terms <laughs> for what that is. It's, it's pretty much saying, what's this person's philosophy on improving my mental health? And you could think that could be broken down into a few different steps. What is this person's philosophy on what the problem is? Um, does the, do we agree? Do we conceptualize the problem in the same way? Do we have the same idea of the arrival point? What, what is the thing that we're actually trying to accomplish here? What is a mental health, what is psychological health look like? Different people have different ideas on what that looks like. And then what are the processes? What are the interventions? What are the, uh, the steps that we're going to take in order to get there? And if you can really nail down those three things when you're looking at a prospective therapist, you're going to have a lot better of an idea of, okay, this seems like someone that we will jive with, or maybe this is someone that has a very different philosophy, a very different outlook on life than I do. And the arrival point that that person wants to arrive at doesn't necessarily uh, click with what I want. And here's the reality, too, is that a good therapist, when you get in there and maybe you start asking questions like this, they're going to, um, if they're trained well, they're going to create what's called a collaborative treatment plan. They're going to sit with you and ask you about, well, okay, what do you want to be different? Um, you know, what's the arrival point that you would like to get to? Um, how do you see your problem currently? What do, what do you think are the steps that, um, if you were to take, would, would be most helpful? And they ask you that, not just to put the burden on you so they don't have to do any work, but what they're asking is, is uh, how can I essentially build this treatment plan? How can we have a collaborative relationship together where um, I'm not just pushing my worldview on you and you just got to you know, agree with everything I say, but perhaps through the interaction together, we can create something that is cohesive, something that, that really does land you in the goals you want to get to and is open, is flexible enough 
for you to be able to change your mind in a few ways or for you to be able to grow, uh, for both of you to be able to grow, right? So um, that's good to keep in mind. But if, you know, if you're thinking about what's some homework that I can do ahead of time on some of these different profiles to maybe get closer, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, what is their theoretical orientation or what is their psychological modality? Those are interchangeable terms there. Um, and in that modality, in that philosophy of psychology, what is the problem and then what is the solution? And then how do they go from A to B? Those are things that you can actually look up. Those are things that you can Google. You know, so for example, if someone you know, is looking for counseling and, and they have chronic pain, they have rheumatoid arthritis, and, and they're really in a lot of psychological distress, they'd like to go to counseling to learn maybe to better cope with you know, the pain and, and to not let it interrupt their life so much. Um, you know, there's a lot of different places that you could go. You could go to someone who practices something like internal family systems. And the conceptualization of the problem is going to include in large part that, that there's, um, there's traumas that we experience throughout our lifetime that we hold within our bodies. And rheumatoid arthritis can often be an expression, can be a bodily um, presentation of repressed and unprocessed trauma. Right? So that's a very different conceptualization than other, than other models. Not everyone would say that it's actually um, trauma held in the body. That's, that's, that's a, a unique claim there. And so then IFS within, you know, what, what's the solution there? The solution in IFS terms would be something called self-energy. The solution is that, that we would be able to heal the psychological um, traumatic wounds that you're holding and that when you have a release of those wounds, psychologically and bodily, then your body won't have to hold that rigidity. It won't have to hold that space. It won't have to, uh, you, you won't be in a state of internal conflict. And not only will your pain um, be relieved significantly, but the psychological distress related to the pain will be relieved significantly. And then you'll have access to that self-energy, to that ideal state of the psychological mind. Um, it's, it's more complex than that. That's kind of like a a bumper sticker version of what they would say there, but, but uh, that's that would be kind of the route. So you can see there's the problem, there's the ideal state, and then there's the A to B. And you might you know be hearing that and be like, well, I don't I don't think that it's necessarily about my um, internalized trauma, and then that would be a good clue right from the beginning. So maybe that wouldn't be something that you would want to pursue, or maybe it is. Maybe you're like, oh, well, I never really thought that that might be you know involved in you know in in my chronic pain. Well, if it is, I would want to find out if it was because. Um, so maybe I would want to go into that. So another, uh, you know, alternative would be something like acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, right? They would conceptualize something like rheumatoid arthritis in a very different way. They would say that part of the reason that you're experiencing psychological suffering is because you have psychological inflexibility around the reality of your chronic pain. And uh, it, you, you could think of it like you have these um, preconceived expectations, you have these preconceived um, relations between how you want the present, how you want the future to be, and it's the rigidity to some of those expectations. It's the um, it's the habits and routines that, of thought that you have around your chronic pain that might be creating psychological suffering that's antagonizing the experience of chronic pain. So a little abstract there, but then what they would say is that maybe the ideal state from an, from an ACT point of view would be something like psychological flexibility, right? that you would be able to free, feel free, that you would be deeply connected to your values, right? And so then the A to B is going to be a set of interventions that are meant to encourage that, to diffuse yourself from your rigid expectations around your chronic pain, um, to disrupt some of the routines, to disrupt some of the patterns of thoughts that might be antagonizing 
your mental distress, often through the use of a lot of metaphors, and that you would arrive at increasing amounts of psychological flexibility, and then that would be the well-being that you would experience. So notice I'm um, not very trauma-focused, although trauma could come up in that, and it would have a way of interacting with the traumas that surface if that was something that came up in counseling. But different conceptualizations of the problem and different uh, solutions. Um, both are evidence-based therapies for rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and evidence-based, what that means is that, you know, the men who ori originally kind of thought these ideas up, so Steve Hayes for ACT or Richard Schwartz for, for IFS, they, they had some ideas about what could be at the root of something like rheumatoid arthritis, and, and uh, they started to kind of work that out in the lives of their patients, kind of in a hypothetical, almost experimental kind of way. But then throughout time, what they did is they actually started moving into the testing stage. So, okay, these ideas maybe sound good to me. Do they sound good to other people? They maybe had some positive results for me and my clients. But if someone else were to use these ideas, would they have the same positive experience with their clients, right? And then so through testing, through you know, hundreds of different subjects, thousands of different subjects over you know, several different studies over time, we can have increasing amounts of confidence that, okay, it's not just that Steve Hayes is a great therapist. It's that the ideas that he was using actually created predictable results for people experiencing rheumatoid arthritis and got people to the end point that uh, they set out at the beginning of the journey. And that's interesting. And the reason you would want like an evidence-based psychotherapy over maybe just a random person with some neat ideas is because you want to have some reasonable assurance that this isn't just some pontifications from some person. This is something that has a track record of being successful. If you're going to spend, you know, $50, $100, $150 a week on therapy, if you're going to take up an hour of your time every week, um, you're going to make that investment into your mental health. You want to have some reasonable assurance that you're not just paying for someone's pontifications and random neat ideas. You know, you're paying for some ideas that have a track record of success. You have a statistical probability that this will be a positive experience for you to a point. It's not perfect, but it's it's a higher likelihood of success than random ideas. Now, that's not to say anything bad about people having random ideas. That's how a lot of creativity and a lot of these new ideas come into existence in the first place is that someone had an idea and they they experimented with that within therapy sessions. And so you might have a therapist who doesn't necessarily go to all these big trainings on a very specific psychological modality, but they just happen to be a very wise person with some very helpful ideas. And maybe another piece to take away here that, that would be helpful is that uh, um, I think a, a foundational, and maybe this is part of partly my opinion here, so I'm, I'm sharing with you one of my neat ideas that I need to put into testing or maybe there's maybe there's tests out there that have evaluated this idea i should i should look and see but i suspect that a large part of what makes these different modalities successful is that they're sophisticated and they're coherent and oftentimes when we're in distress we have multiple you know different opinions and perspectives and experiences that we don't really know how to like make sense of that we don't know how to get to mesh together we don't know how to integrate we don't know how to um, make cohesive. And so there's something about just leaning into a sophisticated model that creates cohesion that, that by default will improve someone's mental health. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I'll continue to sophisticate that hypothesis over time, but that's, that's what I really think, you know, that's up to, because you might just say, oh, is all this just arbitrary or all the evidence modalities and all these different philosophies on mental health? Is it all just like relative? Like, you just need to pick one and go with it. 
and, and I wouldn't go that far with it. I'd say that there's probably a through line where a lot of these modalities are trying to get at very similar things just through different angles. Um, and then also there's, there's a sophistication and a coherence that is, uh, that emerges when you try to present a set of ideas to 10,000 people. It'll, it'll really edit out the ideas that weren't that great. And it'll really, um, distill down and, and make rich ideas that, that perhaps were good to start with, but make them really great, you know? And so, um, when I'm looking for a therapist, uh, for my kid, for, for me and my spouse, for me, I'm looking for someone who's had some time training under an expert in a psychological modality that I resonate with, where I resonate with the, the way they conceptualize the problem and the way that they conceptualize the solution. And then I'm open-minded to the different steps that that therapist might have um, in order to, to get me there or for us to collaboratively work together in establishing all of those steps. Does that make sense? And so practically, the way to do that would be when you're looking on Psychology Today or LinkedIn or whatever, when you're going through, you could even email them, ask, what is your theoretical orientation? What is your psychological modality? And then when they tell you, Google it. And uh, you can look for some podcasts on it. You could uh, YouTube some videos. You know, there's, there's tons of resources online that are, that are really accessible. You could look for some blogs on it. Like, try to get a picture for what is this modality and what is kind of the underpinning philosophy of these of these um, psychological modalities. And, and that's really gonna help you be able to pinpoint if it's something that resonates with you. And then if you wanna pursue this relationship further, because it would be a bummer to sign up for therapy to pay you know the $150 for the intake session and then find out that they have some sort of spooky therapy that you really don't align with. It's real weird. <clears throat> and, um, and then you just wasted a bunch of time and that would be a shame. So once you kind of understand the modality um, a little bit, you can ask them what trainings have you done in that modality? Um, have you done some workshops in it? Do you, did you have a supervisor that specialized in it? Like, um, how, and, and the reason I'm asking that question is, are you aware of the levels of sophistication and the cohesion in that model? Like, have you absorbed that? Or did you just read like a book on it once? Did you hear about it like at a one hour workshop? Um, did you have to pay attention? Because it's, it's of no use to me, <clears throat> even if it's an evidence-based model, if the person using the model within psychotherapy for me isn't adequately trained in the model, it's not going to um, help me. It's not gonna help me because maybe part of my problem is that I have a lot of incohesion. I don't have a layer of sophistication that I need in order to orient myself towards this problem in an adaptive way, to say that in a really psychologically, with a bunch of big words. Um, you know, I, I need to handle this problem differently. And then the person I'm talking to isn't adequately educated, isn't adequately wise. Um, to help me diagnose the problem and find adequate solutions. You know, so just because someone says, oh, I do ACT or I do IFS, doesn't mean they're good at it. And so what I would be asking is not just what do you use and do I align with that, but what training have you done? And then that is going to build a lot of trust and rapport for me. Then when I go into session and I see, do we just drive on a personality level? Um, those would be some of the steps that I take. And you can do that with uh, therapy for your kid as well. But it's most people don't know this right up front. You should, I, I should tell you that you can actually meet with the, your child's therapist first just to get, interview them and get to know them, even if your child's a teenager, because in some states, um, <clears throat> your child's mental health information is actually confidential, even from their parents. Like in the state of Washington, it was 13. Like once the child's over 13, the parent has no legal right to the mental health records of their child. 
Um, and that can really put a lot of parents on edge and actually be kind of a, um, um, an inhibitory factor to, to bring your kids to counseling because you don't know what that therapist is telling them. You don't know what ideas that therapist is persuading your child of. Of course, that would be kind of um, a red flag. So you can go and interview that therapist and find out all of those pieces so that you can have some assurance that, um, yeah, <clears throat> this person is going to take my child in a, in a direction that aligns with their family's values. Um, that would be important. So I hope that that's helpful in the quest of finding a good therapist. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. It's not fair that people who are feeling psychological distress have to go and do all this homework and have to go and learn all these vocab words and then open themselves up vulnerably to a stranger with the chance that it might be helpful. That is, that is not fair. And, and I feel that um, burden and I feel that stress with you. My hope is that you encounter a therapist who has an appreciation for that stress that you hold as well and is going to be a good steward of the trust that you bring to them. And I share this with you, not to stack on your burden, not to give you a bunch of homework to make it feel like this big thing, but to equip you, to empower you, to, to walk in with some knowledge, to walk in with some power, to walk in with the ability to, to not just be vulnerable to whatever this person says, to not waste your money, to waste your time, and to not get any benefit out of it, but, but that you at least have some steps that you can take that are gonna increase the probability that you have a really positive experience in counseling. That's my hope. Um, I'll leave you with that today. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Hey, you should know, too, I'm doing a free webinar uh, next week on Monday night. It's going to be on the topic of recovering confidence. So if you want to come, it's totally free. You can just sign up uh, in the show notes. There's a link there, and you can reserve your spot.